Welcome and thank you for joining us. Here at Calvary Chapel Eldoret, we believe in impacting and changing people's lives through the Bible, which is the only inspired and infallible Word of God. For more information, be sure to check out our website at ccelderet.org. That is ccelderet.org. And here is today's word. I had mentioned that Jonah is a very unique book in the Old Testament because it's a um, it, it's one of those prophetic books um, that is not about a prophecy as much as it is about a prophet. Um, it's really the only book in the Old Testament that the main theme is God's dealing with this prophet rather than focusing on the message that God has for the nation of Israel through a prophet. A very famous story that we heard in Sunday school growing up and over the past few weeks that we've been in Jonah, we've seen that um, even this story that some have viewed to be um, allegorical or metaphoric is actually uh, the Bible proclaims it as literal and we can see from extra uh, stories outside of the Bible like the gentleman um, Mr. Hartley who was swallowed up by a big fish he was swallowed up by a whale and uh, he was found inside unconscious not because he lacked oxygen but because he was in shock and panic, and he um, passed out. All of the hairs on his body and even his skin was dyed like an albino. And so we see this story, and now that God has um, forgiven Nineveh, we're going to, this great Assyrian city, in fact, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, we see God dealing with Jonah uh, very gently, but he's, we, we finish off with that. It says here, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry, so he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. <laughs> He's a very dramatic prophet. Um, Jonah, we don't know exactly what's happening with Jonah. We don't know the story behind why he hates the Assyrians so much. We do know the Assyrians have been an enemy of the nation of Israel. Um, we do know that the Assyrians were brutal when they would take over a, a city. They would... Uh, do terrible things like even skin people alive um, in front of their family members, and then they would hang hundreds of skins or even 
thousands of skins throughout the city flapping in the wind. Um, just terrible, terrible things that these Assyrians would do. We don't know if, to me, it sounds like something personally happened to Jonah. Uh, we don't know for sure. It is possible. We don't know why, if, if Jonah is bipolar, because in, in chapter 3, he had just praised the Lord. After three days, we speculated on why it took Jonah three days to cry out for God's mercy and, and praise. But um, however, whatever reason, I had offered up a couple reasons. One of them is he probably may have felt guilty. And those of us who sin, it uh, takes us times, though we shouldn't. We should, we should run right to the Lord. Um, and so, you know, we don't know why just after a day and a half, after he's praising the Lord, now he's upset with God for forgiving the Ninevites. Maybe he's not bipolar and he actually just thought that God wouldn't forgive them, or that's not the case because God, he said he knew God would forgive. Maybe he just thought, okay, these people are so wicked, there's no way they're going to repent, and uh, so I'll go. It's possible he thought that. Um, it's possible that th this wave of emotions just came over him. You know, he was feeling really bad about what he had did and also the circumstance that he was in was terrible, billing, being in the belly of a great fish and he cried out to the Lord for help and now he's out. It's been a day and a half. Even though his skin and hair have turned white, he's, you know, I don't know, I just thought of this. I'm glad that this isn't offered on the market because a lot of these African women would be dying themselves with this this whale or this big fish acid, which you don't need to do that, by the way, ladies. That's just a side note. <clears throat> so he, he, he's out for a day and a half. He feels great. Um, you know, he's cleaned himself up. He's washed himself in the salt water. And so he's forgetting now about how terrible life can be without the help of God. We don't know exactly, but this guy is very dramatic. And he says, in anger to the Lord, I knew you would do this. I know how merciful you are. And in your loving kindness, you have forgiven these people. Now, I mean, he hates these people so much that he would rather die then watch them live. <laughs> now I just want to die. It's better that I die, Lord. Maybe I should have just died in the belly of the fish. I would like to point out that the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. He is a God who is filled with loving kindness, graciousness, mercy. 
And we often can get the idea that the God of the Old Testament is this angry, mean, frustrated, vengeful God who is ready to kill people immediately. And in the New Testament, he's this loving and kind and he's so merciful. Uh, represented by Jesus Christ, obviously the Son of God, and that's just not the case. When you consider some of the judgments of God, we thank God for that rain. Is that real rain? When you consider the judgments, uh, let's consider a few in the Old Testament, consider the, 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 the greatest judgment the, the world has ever seen. And um, it, it's not the greatest judgment that the world will ever see because rather than flooding the earth and killing everyone and everything other than the animals and the eight human beings on Noah's Ark, um, there will be fire next time where God will actually burn the the, um, the earth, it's always been a little funny to me. I don't know why it's comical. I don't know why. I'm I, I don't want to, this to sound wrong, but I'm thankful for the promise uh, that the world will never flood. But I think that was a promise more for those eight people who actually experienced the flood. And let me tell you why. Because fire doesn't sound better than water to me. Like, it's like, I'll never flood again. It's my promise. But next time, I'll burn it to the ground. You know, I don't, I don't know. It just doesn't seem any better. But if you recall that judgment, God said that every single person other than Noah and his family, it would seem, on the entire planet didn't have one single righteous thought amongst them. That's incredible. That is not the case right now. Now, that may be more so the case after the church is raptured, um, probably soon, But back then, the Bible talks about there wasn't even a righteous thought, a godly thought, a thought of repentance amongst the entire world. And when you think about that, God was even merciful in that judgment in that the very family, and specifically Noah, the person who did have righteous thoughts and righteousness, um, was spared. So, the entire world back then didn't, they, they were all of a reprobate mind. The idea of a reprobate mind is a mind that never has a soft enough heart to where, because really, guys, the heart, the soul makes a convert of the mind, not the mind making a convert of the soul or the heart. 
it was so hardened that, that it was, they were incapable of thinking about God. We don't know how many people was on earth back then. Um, some people even say there, there could have been as much as a billion. We don't know. There was definitely a lot of people. And there wasn't a righteous thought amongst any of them other than this, this person, this person, Noah. That's incredible. I mean, if you would just consider yourself, you guys have had the inclination even to come to a Bible study on Thursday night. You can't even relate with those people who were living at the time of the flood. Even if you are a carnal Christian, you can't relate to those people whom God judged at that time. And so that judgment, you, you, you got to think about all the different perspectives and vantage points when it comes to God judging the world. Then you consider Sodom and Gomorrah. And these angels are going out to kill, and Adam, or Abraham says, if 50 are righteous, will you destroy the city? No. 30, 10, no, not even if there's one righteous, will we kill them with them, the idea. And, and so the idea, there's only one family amongst all of these citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah in the same case of um, the flood. There's none righteous amongst them except for Lot and, 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 and kind of his righteousness gets to encapsulate his family. They get to be spared as well, except for the wife who still desired Sodom and Gomorrah, turned around and she was destroyed by God. Okay, turned into a, a ash, basically, a pillar of salt. <laughs> that would suck. I don't know if Lot was happy or sad about that. You never know about their relationship. They wanted to rape those men. And then Lot, for whatever reason that I cannot relate to, having daughters, offers his daughters instead of these sodomites raping these angels. It says that the entire city came out after these guys. It's not, it's not like just, this is a holistic mindset that's happening. And so they, you can see why God would want to judge what's happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. Then you look at like the Amalekites. And, you know, if you ever watched any of Christopher Hitchens' debates, anybody heard of Christopher Hitchens? It's, he was a British atheist, a, a vile, vile man. And really, he hated the God of the Bible, though he didn't believe he existed. And he would always talk about these issues. He would always talk about a God killing in the flood or a God destroying a city or the, the God destroying a people. You know, these Amalekites and these different groups of pagan people, they would have entire parties where they were killing their children in fires, offering their children to these different gods, like 
Moloch or the God of Baal and these different gods. These were a wicked, wicked people. If somebody came into your house tonight and burn all of your family members alive in front of you, you would want those people dead too, wouldn't you? Yes. And so when we consider the God of the Bible, he is the same God, both Old and New Testament, and all of these accusations against him are unfounded, illogical, and without knowledge. Without the knowledge of who God really is. He has every right to judge. I want his mercy. But when we talk about these specific judgments that God has been attacked by, like the flood or Sodom and Gomorrah, or these pagan groups of people like the Amalekites, you guys must understand, these were holistically a vile people. And we see that oftentimes this is how and when God does mass judgment. And so this is another proof, I believe, of the rapture itself, a pre-tribulation rapture, another proof. Um, we have so many proofs in the Bible, but this would be another one that in God's judgment, he judges holistically when there's a holistic rebellion against him. And when he raptures the church and every single believer in the world is taken out, that's a pretty dark world. That's a pretty wicked world. Not one person to speak truth into a situation. Not one person to preach the gospel. Not one person to open their Bible and to share a Bible study. However long they may take, I don't know, weeks, months, um, there will be people getting born again in the tribulation. But that is ripe picking in the same way that Noah was encapsulated in God's protection and his family in the ark, in the same way um, that Lot was taken out of Sodom and Gomorrah before judgment, in the same way that the nation of Israel was separate from the judgment of these Amalekites, um, is the same way that the church will be encapsulated in his protection, taken out of the world and separated from the world during the rapture. That's how God operates. That's, this is who God is. So when you hear about Russia, understand, the Old Testament prophesies that Russia will come against the nation of Israel along with a coalition of nations. So when you see Russia in the news all the time, the Bible prophesied this um, about 3,000 years ago, that the people of the north, Gog and Magog, that's the area of Russia, will come down against Israel. And then right around that time is, is the tribulation period, and we know that the rapture happens before the tribulation. So he's the same God. And, and, and that's further proof is the prophet Jonah saying, I know who you are. 
You are gracious and merciful and you're filled with loving kindness. You abound in long. The idea of abounding is it flows out from him loving kindness. One who relents from doing harm to people. So therefore, Lord, take my life. It's better that I to die than live. And the Lord said to him, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. Therefore he made, or there he made for himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade, till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and it and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to to live. So when God is, when Jonah says that God is a God who's abundant in loving kindness, he abounds in loving kindness, he has mercy. Even when he's being offensive to God, God's still pouring out his mercy on Jonah. And so instead of God reacting in a way that you and I often would react, how, you know, how dare you, Jonah? Do you understand how wicked you are too? You think you're so much better than these Ninevites. I'm tired of you. And I don't know, just give him a little, I don't know, it would probably still kill him, but a little pinky slap. Not, that's not what God does to Jonah. He blesses Jonah after Jonah is complaining against God. This is, this is who God is. It's who he is. Guys, you and I, guys and gals, everyone, you and I have such an inbuilt tendency to think that when we do wrong, we will get punished. When we do right, we will be rewarded. There is some truth to that at certain levels, but understand that's not how God operates most of the time. And the reason why we have that so ingrained in us is because unwisely, unjustly, unfairly, we project how we've been treated by others and how we would treat others who offend us on how God does it because we don't know God as good as we should. So because that's how the world treats us, we think God's going to treat us that way. And that's how we would treat people. We react without mercy. We uh, do those things, then, then we project that on God. And the reason why we do that is because we're so familiar with the world and ourselves and so unfamiliar with God. We need to become more familiar with God to provide a proper 
perspective on what's going on in the world and what would happen to us and how God views us. I find it incredibly merciful of God to have this complaining, hateful, bitter prophet. And, and he goes off and he, he's going to sit on a hill somewhere to see maybe God will still kill them all. You know, see what happens to Nineveh. It says he wanted to go up and see what would happen to him. And, and God just has a, a plant grow up supernaturally. Just, just like that. Providing shade for his head. And you guys know, when it's out in the desert or the hot sun, uh, shade is nice. He provides shade for Jonah. Jonah's blessed by the shade. As soon as the shade goes away, he hates his life again. He wants to die again. God teaches him a lesson. God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? He says, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. (laughs) This guy is crazy. (laughs) And yet, I find him not, I I don't find him like, um, I find him very honest, very transparent, very sincere. And I think often, I'm not suggesting we speak to God this way, but what I am suggesting, that you speak to God in your anger, in your pain, in your confusion, in your hurts, and you dialogue with Him. Say, I don't understand this, God. I, under, I don't understand why you allow this. I don't understand why this happened this way. I don't understand why I was, you know, I think people need to hash things out with God. I, I get there is such a victim mentality in Africa, around the world, especially with certain cultures and certain people groups in America. There's such a victim mentality. It's like people can't get over their pain. I don't want to be insensitive. But at some point, you got to get over all the pain you went through going up. you got to deal with it with God. Was it terrible? Yes. Listen, I, I, I watched my dad do awful, awful things. And I didn't even realize because... Studying, like, understanding, I don't want to use the word psychology, but understand the mental state and the the dispositions of children is when a child goes through something horrendous, though they immediately feel pain, though they immediately have, you can derail a child, you, you can set them on a different course by abusing them, Children react so much differently than an adult would act when it comes to physical abuse or molestation or rape. For children, it's like life is new to them. 
and everything, maybe this is normal. Maybe this is what the world's about. Maybe this is what happens. And children, in a sense, are so much more pliable than adults are. And then when you become adults, and, and I don't want to get in, in, into any psychobabble, so you're going to have to hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. And I, I, I've discovered as an adult and as a husband and as a father, th though that pain has done me good mostly, and that the Lord works for the good for those who love him and are called to call him on purpose, God can turn pain into great people, into just blessings and, 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 and progress and all kinds of things. People who have gone through a lot can offer a lot if they have been healed of what they've gone through. And, and, and I'm not saying you need to get on a couch and, and, and rehash. Don't rehash the things you went through. It's terrible. Okay, sit down and tell me what happened. And you haven't thought about it for years. It hasn't been that much pain until you're like, oh gosh, I forgot about that. Oh, that's not, that's not helpful. That's what the worldly psychiatrists do. It's stupid. It's like, yeah, you are really going through it. It's like, yeah, yeah. In fact, you're in bad shape. Here's a pill. Don't do that. But I have noticed in my own life that, you know what? That's probably why at times I'm so detached from e emotional intimacy with my wife. And I'm not talking about sexual intimacy, but emotional intimacy. I remember I, I, I am generally a very nice guy to women. Um, I'm from the south of the United States. We have southern charm. We have southern hospitality. It's a lot like some Kenyan hospitality. But I remember there was this friend of mine after I graduated high school, and she, she, was, this, she was a smart lady. She was a friend, just a friend. She said, why do you hate women? What are you talking about, I hate women? I hate women. Very nice guy. Nice guy. She goes, no, you, you, but you seem to be able to emotionally connect to men so much quicker, not that I need to emotionally connect to women, so much quicker than a friend, a girlfriend, like a, a, a friend who is a girl, which I also don't think, as a Christian man, a guy needs to have a lot of friends who are girls. By the way, it's almost a myth anyways, ladies. Oh, he's my friend. No, he's not. I don't really know how to articulate this, but to say that it struck me because of how men treat women in my family. They treat them badly. And that example and that already mixed with carnality and already mixed with the flesh and mixed with an example and watching this grow up, even though I saw my dad did horrible things, things that I never have done or never would do, there's still a lack of respect. And I'm not saying go deal with this a counselor, but whatever it is you've gone through, deal with it with God. Don't, Jonah's not like, now everything's fine, God. <laughs> 
I surrender all. You know. He, he, I'm not trying to justify his behavior, but I am definitely saying, I think there's something here. He's very transparent. He's being very honest. And God's speaking to him through his transparency, through his honesty, through his confusion, through his anger, through his bitterness. And I believe that if you're honest with God, God, I'm confused about this. I don't understand this. That God is going to show you things about your heart that need to get right before God gets right, because guess what? God's always right. But what, I'm, what, what else I'm trying to say is God's not too prideful. He, he's not prideful at all. To show you in your confusion and anger and bitterness things that you need to see. Do you have a right to be angry, Jonah, over this plant? And Jonah's like, I have a right to be angry over the plant, even to death. It's like, I am so angry over this plant that I want to die. You know, his desiring to be, that is not anger over the plant, right? It's over his bitterness against these Assyrians. The Lord said to him, verse 10, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? And the book ends right there. That's, the, that's it. This is a weird ending. It's the Bible. Does such, it's, it's like the master of understatements, the Bible. It's like God created the heavens and the earth, period. Like, do we understand the magnitude of nuclear power it took to create the heavens and the earth? It, it's like a number that we can't number. Trillions and trillions and, and trillions into the infinity of nuclear bombs blowing up at the same time. That's the kind of power it took, you know. It's the master of understatement. So this lesson, so you say you're angry to death over the plant. Should you not have cared more about these people, 120,000, than you've cared about this plant? So you, you care more about plants than people? What kind of bitterness is this, Jonah? Care more about plants than people. One thing I can confidently say about Jonah is that Jonah had lost or maybe never had the sight of his own sin, which would become and was a serious problem in the nation of Israel. To the point where these religious leaders are like the most disgusting, self-righteous people the world has ever seen. We don't eat with tax collectors and sinners. You know, I think part of the relief of our church, part of what makes people feel at home here, is though we need to respect our pastors and our leadership and 
staff, and, and, and we do need to give honor where honor is due, um, is that you guys have an understanding here that there's no pastor that's better than all the people. I couldn't help but notice religious people make me so mad. They annoy me. You can come here and have, you know, been drunk for 18 weeks straight. It wouldn't annoy me as bad as um, watching a prideful pastor. Never lose sight of your sin. The Bible says that if we don't forgive those who've sinned against us, then we will not be forgiven by God who we've sinned against. Are you bitter about something? Has, has somebody hurt you? Are you living as a victim? Oh, I'm just a victim. I've grown up in poverty. My dad ran out. Uh, this or whatever. Terrible things, yes. Deal with it with God. Forgive those who've sinned against you. And make sure you never behave the way the Pharisees did, the way that we see so many religious people in our day did, and the way that we see Jonah behaved here. He lost sight of his sin. And maybe he never had it in the first place. Understood how wicked he was. Never had an Isaiah 6 moment. You need to forgive those who've sinned against you guys. You need to forgive anybody who's offended you. And the key to that is understanding how much you've been forgiven. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us as you had mercy on the Ninevites, please. Have mercy. Cleanse us. And give us the right perspectives that we need. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's teaching. We hope that you've been inspired and blessed. For more teachings and other resources, visit our website at ccelderet.org or call us at 0718-012-496. That is 0718-012-496. See you next time.